The banking world hopes to continue its upward trend after last week's bank crisis. Plus, there's a new buyer for a good chunk of the assets from the failed Silicon Valley Bank and at quite the discount. And have you ever heard of cash stuffing? It's an old school strategy making one woman hundreds of thousands of dollars. Your market moment begins now. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. The hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Welcome to the Market Moment. I'm Lee Mackey here with Matt Walters and Eli Freeman. How are you guys doing? Good. Happy to be here. Yeah? Super excited. Your basketball bracket? Blown to just complete pieces. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was on Sunday that all of our, so we, as a a staff here at Mach 1, we did brackets. And on Sunday, not a single person had a team left. Because no one has a single team in the Final Four, correct? Yep. Yeah. I'm sure, or maybe not, I'd like to know the one person out there that picked the four teams that are actually going to Houston. They- Bennett, Bennett kept asking me last night, like, who's in the Final Four? And it felt weird. I was like, Florida Atlantic, <laughs> San Diego State. So, but it'll be good. It, and and it, then did he ask, where are those schools? And you yeah. Know, I have yeah. no clue. <laughs> so, it was it was an interesting couple weeks of basketball. All the favorites are at home watching on television. But it's always fun to see – See the excitement of these people that are underdogs, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. coming back. So for sure. Um, anyway, let's uh, get to the stories at hand this week. The markets are trying to keep some of the positive momentum going after last week's banking crisis, or really the last couple weeks. Um, a couple notes to, to mention: banking stocks have rebounded from some of the losses last week. Sentiment is improving overall, and deposit outflows have been slowing. Bloomberg reported U.S. authorities were considering expanding an emergency lending program for banks. So, guys, let me just throw out um, maybe for one final time or at least um, the final time for maybe a few weeks. Banking crisis, you know, it's dominated the news over the past two to three weeks. Um, It seems to have been contained, you know, to a couple banks out west, you know, a bank over in Europe. What are your guys' thoughts? I'd like to caveat this by by saying – we don't know what's going to settle into the market over the next coming months. So not to say that the banking crisis is completely past us and we're not going to see anything pop up in the next coming of months. But this could have gone two different directions, in my view. And one of them was that people trust the banking system and that we, we can trust the banking system. The other is that we shouldn't trust the banking system and we should take our deposits from the banks, put them in cash, or try and move just to safer banks. And we're seeing a lot of flows from mid-sized banks into the larger banks. But overall, what we're seeing is people are still trusting their banks. And that's been encouraging just to watch and make sure that people aren't doing the 1930s bank runs. You know, one of the things I saw yesterday was um, that there wasn't as there wasn't as much of a run to the large money center banks as they originally expected. 
which was good news for a lot of your small, mid, mm-hmm. your regional Yeah, banks. I mean, the one, thing, the one thing that could happen that would make this a true crisis crisis is panic, right? And so the FDIC, the Treasury, like, they came in and wanted to do whatever they could do to avoid just panic, mm-hmm. widespread panic. And I thought Josh Brown um, said it best on his podcast. He, he, he's talking about how, you know, because you, you get into the argument of, like, should they, you know, quote-unquote bail out? And like help these banks and do these things. Well, one is different bailout. Like the investors didn't get their money back. It was just the depositors. And two, um, Josh Josh said it um, on his podcast best. It was like if my if my kid's in danger, I don't sit there and wait for them to learn their lesson before I help get them out of the danger. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, so I kind of look at it the same. Like let's let's stop the danger or the, the what could really bad happen. Mm-hmm. And then we can deal with who needs to be dealt with after the fact. And I thought that was well said. And I think so far, at least, it, it seems like they're doing a better job of that now versus what they've done in the past. And I do think it's um, pretty contained. At least. You know, and I, I think it'd be interesting to know how much of this lack of panic was because the FDIC or the government came in and basically said, we'll backstop all these deposits. Or was it people maybe were somewhat rational and just realized, okay, maybe this is not as big of a deal yeah. to my bank here. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's probably a combination of both, yeah. you know, naturally. But I do I do think, I was talking to a client the other day, I think, you know, if this had been like... Indiana? Yeah, ne- <laughs> ne- Nebraska Farm and Merchant Bank. or I mean, it just wouldn't have been near the deal it was. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, and one thing that, to keep in mind is, you know, these failures... You know, this let's let's just say a bank going out of business. You know, it's it's like a store going out of business. That's not always a bad thing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's bad for the employees that may lose jobs, but businesses going out of business isn't always mm-hmm. a bad thing. Yeah. I Sometimes mean, it's just good for the market. It's healthy. I yeah. mean, there's we have what four thousand, five thousand banks here in America. Surely not all five thousand banks are ran one hundred percent properly. Yeah. Correct. And and that's what I'm interested to see moving forward because coming out of 2008, there was a lot more re- legislation that was passed requiring banks to hold different types of reserves, mm-hmm. requiring them to structure their assets in a type of way. I wonder if from this, if now we're going to start seeing something like a liquidity requirement that you have to be able to cover a certain amount of liquidity because currently there's not something like that I mean, we could. on banks. I mean, we could. Uh, you know, one thing that's come out of this is First Citizens Bank Shares it looks to be the winner in all this. Um, they've agreed to buy a large, large portion of Silicon Valley Bank's main assets. It was a great deal for first citizens and not so great for the federal government and will also likely impact most banking institutions. couple uh, key points of this deal. First citizens was the winning bidder in the government's auction of SVB's main assets. First citizens acquired $72 billion of Silicon Valley's assets at a discount of $16.5 billion, or 23%. The FDIC remains on the hook for about $90 billion in SVB assets, which are being kept in receivership. The FDIC also has agreed to an eight-year loss-sharing deal on commercial loans that First Citizen is taking over, essentially saying, well, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. hey, you can take over these loans. If they if, go bad, we got you. If we go, that's right. I mean, there's zero risk, essentially, to first citizens on those. And then the SVB failure will cost the FDIC's deposit insurance fund about $20 billion. So 
First Citizens, um, you know, in the in the days since they announced that, their stock price has really gone through the roof because yeah. this is a, a major win, you know, for them. So I think sometimes it's hard to imagine, like what you just described, Lee. It's hard for us to fathom the billions of dollars. I always like to break it down into: they bought a house that had a mortgage on it for a hundred thousand, and they bought it for fifty. It, they bought something that was worth more than what they bought it yeah. for. And the government said, well, even if you can't sell the house to cover that mortgage, we'll, we'll, we'll back buy it you, from you and yeah. we'll cover it. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're coming out the winner in all this. I know there's, there's going to be hearings in Congress on what went wrong, what went right. And so, you know, over the next several weeks, a, a little bit more will come out. But anyway, so maybe we can put to bed, at least for now, mm-hmm. some of the banking issues that, that have been in the news. You know, and one thing that we've talked about here at the office is we are such a headline-driven society right now. You know, everything's breaking news. You know, people don't have time to watch a 30-minute news clip, so they want to see what are the five headlines to start the day. Well, you know, over the last two weeks, the headlines have been dominated by bank this, banks failing, you know, this, that, and the other. And so the, the mood has been somewhat skeptical. Hopefully we can get to a more mm-hmm. tranquil period of time. You know what headline I'm waiting for, and I have no clue how long it's going to take before this headline comes up. But at the end of 2022, and I, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but Warren Buffett had about $130 billion of cash. And it's when is Warren Buffett going to deploy that cash? He's been, yeah, his cash has been building for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I found interesting, is, and you may have seen this, and I don't know if I saw it on Twitter or what, but... Two weeks ago, during the the heat of this banking crisis, the number of corporate jets, presumably financial institutions that were in Omaha, Nebraska, <laughs> they, they yeah. said the airport tarmac was full. Oh, I bet. And the feeling was that everyone was in Omaha meeting with Warren, looking at possible mm-hmm. you know bailouts or yeah. investments in their in their institutions. So found that very interesting. Mm-hmm. That that didn't get talked about a whole lot. So let's move on why is, to something. Why is that not a headline? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, let's move on to something that uh, is a little more light and a, more of a feel-good story. A Texas woman could end up with a multi-million dollar business with a strategy that your grandmother likely called cash stuffing. So here's the story, guys. 31-year-old Jasmine Taylor from Amarillo, Texas, lost her full-time job in 2021. Struggling to get by, as you might imagine, she had over $60,000 in student debt. She began cash stuffing. Guys, you know what that is? I think we all know it as the envelope. envelope. Yeah. Yeah, envelope method. She took her paycheck in cash, divided it into different envelopes labeled for various expenses, you know, gas, groceries, bill, rent, etc. When you pay it an expense, you have to pull from the appropriate envelope. Any money left over goes towards an emergency fund or paying down debt. Referred to as many people like to call it the envelope method, made pretty famous by Dave Ramsey. Right. Uh, many people know that name. Jasmine was able to pay off over $23,000 in the first year using this method. Jasmine went on to make TikTok videos to hold herself accountable. We'll talk we'll talk about TikTok on another episode. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But you know, I found that interesting is, you know, she went public so her viewers, I guess, would hold her accountable to, yeah. to this process. Her, vid- her videos went viral. She now has over 600,000 followers. 
So she has created a business in which she sells money courses and budgeting supplies. In 2022, her business pulled in $850,000. Wow. And she is on track this year to pull in in excess of $1 million. One, quite the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But two, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we've talked about this before that, you know, Dave Ramsey, I think, made this envelope method pretty famous and popular. But I think the reason that this has kind of resonated with people is she's younger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a feel good story. And so, hey, if, if she can touch people and people can change their way of doing things for the better, more power to her. It, I get amped up about this. There's there's no way to say it other than I get really excited about something like this because it's someone taking what is a problem and finding a solid step-by-step solution into getting to an answer. And if if every person were to take a, a hold of their finances in this way, taking their dollars, what they have, and putting a purpose behind each dollar, we would have an economy that probably would even be stronger than it is currently because people know how to spend their money, know how to save, and know how to protect themselves from things like credit my, card debt. My one piece of business advice would maybe diversify from her uh, – um, social media platforms, just in case TikTok, you know, man, yeah, they could be a, uh, it could, they could go down quickly. So. The, um, I wonder if Congress could use the envelope method. You think that would work? I almost mentioned we were referring to like the federal government earlier. It was like the biggest losers, the federal government. It's like, why don't we just say the biggest losers, me and you? Yeah, I mean, taxpayers. It kind of drives me nuts when we say the federal government as if they have like their own money. Right. Um, right. But yeah. Anyways. It I won't is, go down that that rabbit hole right yeah. now. Well, it, it is a feel-good story, and, mm-hmm. you know, we wish Jasmine the best. And, you know, for those that are taking advice from her or at least getting some motivation to improve their, their lifestyles, then then that's great for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we sign off this week? I will say I tried the envelope system. How'd that work for you? lasted about a week. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, I've tried in the whole budget. I mean, everybody needs a budget, right? We talk about it all the time. You got to know where your money's going. But the whole every dollar envelope thing, I always tell people like you got to find what works for you because sure. it's got to be sustainable and mm-hmm. you have to stick to it. Over and a, trying to over years, yeah, trying to force yourself into something that is you know is going to fizzle out and you're not going to be able to do it is not um, it's not going to solve your problems. It's mm-hmm. just going to be frustrating. So I've never I've never stuck with the envelope system personally, but if it if it works for you and for those of you that it does, I think that's great. You know, people still do it. You know, every once in a while when I'm at the grocery store or at Walmart or somewhere, I'll be in line generally behind somebody that's digging through their purse or whatever looking for the right envelope, and I admire them. I think it's I think it's yeah. great. So, um as always, we like to end our Time together with a thought of the day. This one is from the novelist George Eliot. Today's quote is, It is never too late to be what you might have been. It is never too late to be what you might have been. Well, guys, enjoyed it. Um, Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this week's Market Moment. Until next time, have a great rest of the week.
Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.